open your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 2. We're completing this chapter and moving into chapter 3 this morning. 1 John 2 verse 28 through chapter 3 verse 1. Hear now God's word. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Uh, back when I lived in King Street for a while, I was uh, coming home from the funeral home one day, and um, I noticed a friend I just met started coming to the church, and his house was a long way off the road. And I'm, dri- I'm driving down uh, Interstate 52. I look over and I see some movement in the garden. And then I say, oh, there's, there's my friend. He's, he's out working in his garden. I said, it'd be cool just to pull in and have a chat. Let's just have some fellowship. So I pulled in, going up this long driveway. Uh, and as I, I park right in front of the, the house, you know, the, the garden's off to the left. And I see him kind of tiptoeing. Behind the corn stalks. And as I crack my door, he goes to running. Running to the back door of the house. And when he went from the garden to the house, I saw what he didn't want me to see. And that is that he wasn't just working in his garden. He was getting a suntan. And he was wearing one of those Olympic style, you know, Speedo swimsuits. That doesn't waste any material. <laughs> and I'm coming from the funeral home. I'm in a coat and tie. And you could just see the stark difference. You know, it's just going to be hard to have a conversation. So he's running into the back of the house. And I, I pulled the car door back. I said, I'm just going to wait here a while and pray, you know. And wait till he comes back out, fully dressed, in his right mind. And we had a conversation. But you, you know the situation where the, there's times where you're not doing anything wrong, but you would just be feeling shameful. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, dressing in less clothes when you get in the suntan. Nothing wrong at all. But... There's times where that's not appropriate. I just got to thinking, it got me to thinking, when Christ comes back, how would we want to be dressed so that we're shameless at His coming? And I'm not talking about physical dress, obviously. I'm talking about a spiritual dress. Because Christ could care less, I think, when He comes back, what kind of clothes we've got on. But how are we before God, when God shows up. And if God were to show up right now, if he were to come through this roof and just show up on stage, would any of you be kind of, you know, trying to slink down behind the crowd? Would you be shameless at his coming? 
And that's what I think this passage is about, to, to get us to that place where we see, I'm ready for Christ to show up. And I can't wait to just run and embrace him with no shame, no guilt. That's what I want us to have. And I think this passage encourages us to get there, that are we really prepared for Christ's coming? Whether, whether he comes to us or we go to him, we're going to have this experience of seeing him. And when you see him, are you ready? And we know we should be ready now. If we're not ready now, let's get ready today so that whether we see Christ or he comes here, uh, we're prepared. Three things I see here in, a, in this text. It mentions abiding again. We dealt with that last week. Uh, so this relationship, we have this persistent, that's what I'm getting from the word abide. It's just persistent relationship with Christ. That prepares us for seeing Christ. Second, we have a practicing righteousness that it mentions. If you are in Christ, you have a righteousness the world doesn't even know that distinguishes you and makes you ready for the coming of Christ. And three, there's this romance we have with Christ. He's our Father. We're His children. And there's this special love relationship that we have with Christ that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. The world doesn't even comprehend it. And it prepares us and readies us to see our Savior. Let's look at these things. First of all, when you look at verse 28, when I say, now little children abide in him, it's like, good grief, you've just told me that like four times. Why do you mention it again? Uh, verse 28, after, you know, verse 27, it just ended, just as it's taught you, abide in him. You just told me that. So wh why are you telling me that again when you've already told it to me? Um, it's going to make us ready. And God wants us to have confidence in our abiding relationship with God. Uh, he wants, it says, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. He wants you to have that confidence that you, when, when Christ comes, you don't have to be sitting there wondering, oh, am, am I ready? Am, am I ready? Am I ready? I want you to have confidence you're ready to see Jesus. And the confidence you get is through your abiding relationship with him. Look at um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We have this word uh, mentioned over there. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. And this is a popular passage, and I just want you to connect the dots, so to speak, between the confidence we have here and the confidence we have when we see Christ. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Let us then, and here's the word, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you trust Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you trust that he did what he said he did, that he died in your place, that he paid the penalty for your sin, that you're paid up when you see God, then you can go to God in confidence that I can pray and ask things and God will hear me because he's got so much invested in me. He's, he's spilt his own blood for me. He's given his own life for me. I certainly can ask him things now. He, he will listen to me because he's, he's given all. He, he loves me. I got confidence in that. Well, the same term over in 1 John chapter 2 says, I want you to have confidence that because of that abiding relationship where you're praying to him, you're talking with him, he's talking to you, that relationship secures you at his coming. You, you, you are, you're united to him. Uh, that relationship began because of his salvation, because he changed you and united you to him. Uh, understand that. You can stand before Christ at his judgment because you're his and he's yours. And you can be shameless. There's no inhibitions about it. Uh, when, when I was just a little bit younger and my kids were little, uh, you know, we went through that stage as, as this child's going through this stage right now where you're trying to, to figure out, do you go to the nursery or do you go to the sanctuary? <clears throat> uh, are you going to cry out there or are you going to cry in here? Are you going to cry somewhere? So, you know, my wife was trying to figure that out, too. And so our kids were in the nursery for a little while, and then they, we brought them into the sanctuary. Well, when your kids are toddler age and you tell them your dad's the preacher, they don't know what that means. They've never been in the sanctuary. They, they don't even know what preaching is. So the first time with, with all of my kids, when, when Patty brought them into the sanctuary, at some point during their first, second, third service, you know, we, we tried to calm them down a little bit. But at some point, I'm, I come up here on stage, and they go, Hey, there's Daddy. Daddy, hey, Daddy. And I tried to be good about, hey, hey, how you doing? And some of y'all said, that was so cool that y'all had that relationship. I, there's no inhibitions. They didn't know that you don't do that. Everybody doesn't wave at the preacher. They just assumed they could because that was dad. We had a relationship. We abided in one another we spent all of our time together. We talked together every day. We prayed together. There's no reason why they shouldn't have confidence in talking to me. And I want you to see you're the same with God. When you see Him, there should be no inhibitions. It's not like, oh, there's Jesus. But it should be, Jesus, I've been waiting to hug you. I've been waiting for this moment. 
after so many conversations, after so much confidence that you're mine and I'm yours. I stand shameless to know you and to be yours. Thank you. We should have that kind of confidence before him. And that confidence comes because we've been spending so much time with him. We know him. And he knows us. It's just practical. It's our abiding doesn't earn us heaven. Our abiding is just that relationship since heaven has come down to us and transformed us and made us in to children of God. Oh, give you a few verses. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 7 and 8 says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're waiting for Christ to be revealed to us. Who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? He says, you folks, you're, you're waiting for Jesus, right? He says, he's going to sustain you guiltless. When you stand before him, it's like, oh, no, no, God, I, I, got, I got a sin I haven't talked about. God says, no, you're good. I already knew it. I know you. I know your confession. You're guiltless. I have covered your sins. You're mine, and I'm yours. God will sustain our record. Once we are justified in Christ, our record's good. We stand guiltless to get into heaven because of Christ and his righteousness. So you can stand before him at judgment, shameless, that his righteousness covers you. Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, And the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Again, just a great passage of scripture to remember that God wants to sustain your heart blameless in holiness. You're sufficiently holy, pure, set apart for God and his kingdom at his coming. So whenever that is, when Christ comes, whether he comes today or whether we go to him uh, we stand before him as those who are blameless. Uh, obviously, some people are going to be ashamed. Maybe some people here. We don't want that for you. We don't want you to stand before God ashamed. 
So if you, you've got some, something in your heart you're wrestling with, I, I'm not sure that applies to me, that, that I'll be guiltless, that I'll be shameless at His coming. Well, let's deal with that. Let's get rid of the shame. Let's get rid of the guilt because it's appointed to, to men once to die. We all are going to die. We're going to face the judge. We're going to face Christ at some point. Uh, here's a passage, Mark 8, verse 38, talking of that shame. Mark 8, verse 38, says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So same context referring to when Christ comes, when he shows up, there will be those who will be shameful. And those people are mentioned as those um, that are in this, uh, they're ashamed of Christ's words. They're ashamed that they didn't follow the scriptures. They are ashamed that when God spoke, they didn't abide. They didn't dwell down in the truth and said, that's what I'm going to, that's where I'm going to live. That's how I'm going to live. When Christ shows up, you're going to know immediately whether you've been one who's been wanting to live with Christ and for Christ and pleasing to Christ and not. Those who have not, the, the answer is going to be ashamed. Um. I mean, we all have that experience. Do, do we do what others who are over us, whether it's our spouse or our parents or employee, you know, if you don't do what you know they want you to do, and you walk into the room and they say, what have you been doing? You go, ah, oh, you caught me. You know, I didn't do what you wanted me to do. And there's that shame. There's that guilt that comes over us. And God says, I, I, I just don't want that for you. I want you to be shameless at my coming. You do abide, just continue doing that. Just continue this relationship like the vine and the branch. Let's just stay united, talking to one another, staying in the text, staying in my will for your life. And if you do that, if we have this relationship with one another, it's persistent, it's daily abiding. When I show up, there's going to be no issue. You're going to have confidence. I'm going to have confidence. We are tight. We are one. We're united because we are together. So let's evaluate, you know, let's don't push that relationship with Christ off. I don't know about you, I just love talking to God all throughout the day. Thanking Him, praising Him, adoring Him, asking for wisdom and direction. God just, it's just a constant abiding, and I want that for you. So there's just no doubt about your relationship between you and Christ and Christ in you. You're constantly there.
abiding. And I think that's where First John is getting. After all of this text about staying away from false stuff, getting into our relationship with Christ. Little children abide in Him. When He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Now, it goes on. Second point. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. What's a practicing righteousness that God wants us to have? There's obviously an incentive here that we should practice righteousness. The righteousness should be consistent with our new birth. Uh, Both God the Father in this past, in this text, or in this book, have been God the Father and God the Son have been called righteous. That's part of their character. Uh, Look at First John chapter one, verse nine. It says there, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and righteous or just. He's going to cleanse us from unrighteousness his, because his character is righteous. Well, that's, that's the Father. It also mentions Christ just a few verses later. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So, without going anywhere else in the Bible, we see God's the Father's righteous, Christ is righteous. We know the Holy Spirit wouldn't call him holy if he wasn't righteous. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are righteous. Family trait. That's what it is. They cannot, the, the, God cannot sin. He is righteous. Um, so now, if you're born again, if you're born of God, then he makes you righteous. It's a family trait that comes to us, um, uh, and we have evidence of it. Uh, I think this is what Peter is talking about in First Peter 1 when he says, you must be holy as he is holy. Of course, that's an Old Testament reference. It's come all the way through the Bible. If you belong to God, you must be holy as he is holy. If, if you're a son of God, a daughter of God, you must have this family trait. And that family trait is righteousness. You can't be of the family of God and not have this trait known as righteousness. Uh, a child's going to act... Uh, in certain measures, like their mom and dad. you consistent with family traits. Uh, we've had some of our kids go to school and go certain places, and or we're, we're at an event, and somebody sees me, and then they see Patty, so brown eyes. They see Patty, brown eyes. Then they see our firstborn. Oh, he's a round tree. How'd you know? Family trait. Well, it's not a pure family trait. We've got hazel eyes and blue eyes in our family. But it is a family trait. I got brown eyes. My wife's got brown eyes. You kind of expect the kids to have brown eyes. They don't all, but some do. So you expect it, right? You, you get the point. It doesn't have to be pure. You get the point. The same is true with God. Righteous, righteous. Righteous, oh, I kind of expect his children to be righteous. 
don't, don't we? And that's, that's what he's saying. If you're born, you can be sure everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So if you're born of him, you practice righteousness. It's just what we do. And we do it because it's who we are. We are now in Christ. The Holy Spirit is now in us. Um, some families are characterized. Uh, have you ever met a, a mom and dad that's just really stubborn and hard-headed? And then you see their kids, and you say, ah, go figure, stubborn and hard-headed. You know, it's a family trait. It's like, they get it. Same thing about God. You are like your father. You're, you're righteous. You do things according to the word. Why, why did I think anything different? It's a family trait that those of, those of us who are born of God will be righteous as God is righteous. Um, and it's not the same as natural morality, okay? There's a difference. There are lots of good people that are moral people that are uh, doing lots of good things. But they're still not part of the family. Those who are born of God are not just good people. But they're righteous because they're born of righteousness. So you got to distinguish in your mind what's the difference. Well, there's plenty of people who are good people seeking to be good people, seeking to not hurt anybody, but they're not trying to please God. And they're not trying to please God's word. And there's the difference. That righteousness is defined by God, not just by what's good for humanity. But what's good for God? What's consistent with his purposes? What's consistent with his will found in the word of God? And those who are born of God are seeking constantly, Lord, let me, let me become conformed to the image of God. Uh, talking with someone uh, last week about the whole theme of predestination. As you read predestination in Acts, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know, verse 28 is, no, I meant 29. Verse 28 is that passage that says, all things work together for good. According to him who's called, loved by God, whatever. Verse 29, and he has predestined those to be conformed to the image of Christ. Predestination is about being conformed to the family trait. Being made righteous. God doesn't just determine to save us. He determines to conform us to Christ's righteousness. You can't get saved and stay the same. Every time a sinner gets the Savior, the Savior gets a servant of righteousness. Every time. Because his sovereign will is to conform us to the image of Christ. To make us righteous. 
Righteous living, what, how does that differ from morality? Well, look at 1 John 1, 9. Just go back a little bit and re- remind ourselves. If we confess our sins, there you go right there. It's really about all as far as you need to go. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. One of the things Christians do that non-Christians don't do is we deal with sin. We confess our sins. Every time we sin, we confess it. We say, God, I messed up. Didn't love my wife like I should. Didn't love my husband. Didn't respond appropriate to my kids. I didn't do this, didn't do that. Lord, forgive me. Because I know you want to conform me to the image of Christ. So change me. Take that sin. Wash it away. Cleanse me. And let's start again today. And let's become more and more and more like Christ. Non-Christian doesn't ever do that. Non-Christian doesn't even define what's sin and not sin. They just find what's good and not good for humanity. But as a believer, we're constantly saying what's righteous and what's unrighteous. And what's unrighteous, Lord, forgive me. I want to move that aside. I want you to wash that away. Cover me, cleanse me, and then teach me to be more and more like Christ. That's the righteousness that is ours from Christ. We don't create it. It becomes a family trait because God being united to us. Third thing, shameless is coming. We're shameless because of this relationship. It's abiding. No inhibitions. We are shameless because we have a practice of righteousness that convinces us every day we are his. He's ours. Third, we have this uh, particular father-son relationship, this romance. Verse 3. I mean, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father. And the old King James, New American Standard was behold. See what kind of love. I used to say behold was the Greek way of saying in Southern, hey, y'all, look at this, you know. And that's what it is here. You, you see this ESV translation. See, hey, y'all, see, look, what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we are. Look at this. This is, this is amazing. This is, if I didn't say behold, if I didn't say see, look. If I didn't say, hey, sports fans, watch this. If I didn't do something like this, you'd just miss it. It would just run right by and you'd miss it. So he stops and says, Stop. Don't miss this. This is, this is crucial. See what kind of love the Father has given. It's a, it's a love of um, father-son, parent-child relationship. What does that mean? To me, that means preferential treatment. Preferential treatment. I've uh, chastised a few coaches in my life that have kids that play on their team and the coach will come to me at some point I, you know a lot of times not all the time a lot of times if if a kid on the team is a kid of the coach they're usually better because dad or mom's coaching them all all the time and so they're just better and the coach at some point and i'll say why didn't you put your kid in 
I should have put my kid in. I didn't want to show favoritism. And that's when I chastised. I said, what? It's your child. You're supposed to show favoritism. What are you thinking? That child needs to walk away knowing you're his dad, you're his mom, and you love him more than everybody else on the team. Don't think love is equal. You love your own family more every time. And I don't care at all as a spectator that that shows up. You should love your own kid more than everybody else, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you love your spouse more than mine, mine more than yours? I mean, that's what we should do. Family means more, always has, always will. And when God says, see what kind of love I have for you when I call you family, he's saying, I just elevated you. I don't love you the way I love the rest of the world. You are my children, and that makes you special. You have preferred status. You're mine, and I'm yours. That's what he's saying. And sometimes in this world of equality, we forget that, that we're not all equals. Some of us have preferred status. And when we have preferred status, that is so cool. So crucial. We need, to, we need to rejoice in it and just stop and say, God, what a blessing to be yours. You love us so much. You made us your children. You didn't just make us saved. You adopted us into your family so that we are co-heirs with Christ. Who gets that status? Who gets to be an inheritance, uh, an heir, gets the inheritance of Christ? Only children. Children of God. God says, that's what I'm giving to you. And he says, you shall be called. Don't miss that word, called. How, how did this world get created? God just called it into place. He spoke it. He says, I want light. Spoke light, light. I want a moon, moon. I want a sun, sun. I want water, water. God just called it into place. When God speaks, it happens. And he says, I, I want to call you children. It happened. You're mine. You're mine in Christ. I've provided for you, Christ. You remember when Tim was preaching a few weeks ago, talking about the Christ stealing Stealing, S-T-I-L-L. I'm not sure how a southerner says that. Stealing, stealing the storm. He quiets the storm. He calms the storm. We say it differently. When Christ calmed that storm, seas raging, and Christ says, hush, be still. 
and the storm is silent. And the disciples in the boat said to one another as they're trembling and shaking, they said they're more uh, unnerved after Christ stilled the storm than before. And in that state, they say to one another, what sort of man is this? As they point to Jesus. That when he speaks, the wind and the storm bows down. Who can just call out and it happens? Who can do that? And they come to the conclusion, he must be God. When he speaks, it happens. And I want you to feel the beauty of that. When he speaks and says, you are my child, done. Just as much if he had said, I want a sun, I want a moon, I want rain, I want the storm to cease. I want you to be my child. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the sons of God. The children of God. See the beauty of that. Be astonished by that. May it create within you worship and adoration for who he is. God doesn't love you, and he doesn't love me because of who we are. doesn't say that. He doesn't look through the tunnel of time and says, Oh, I see David's going to be pretty good down the road. Okay, I'll set my love upon him. That's not what the Bible says. God doesn't base his love on you or me based on the object. In other words, he doesn't look at us. We're the object of his love. That we're the, we're the receivers of his affection. He doesn't look down through the tunnel of time and say, because of you being so wonderful, I'm going to love you. That's the way we love each other. We end up dating people. We end up getting married to people. We say, oh, she's so wonderful. She's so beautiful. Uh, we, we focus on the object. And because the object is beautiful and helpful to us. We love it. God says, no, no, no. I love you because I want to. Not because of anything in me. Actually, God loves us because God is lovely. Not because we are lovely. Because he is righteous. Because it suits his plan. Because it's consistent with his will. I love you because I love you. Because I want to put my affection on you. Scripture describes us, Revelation 3, we're miserable, blind, pitiful, poor, and naked before God. Miserable, blind, poor, pitiful, and naked. That's not an object you would love. 
God doesn't love us because the object is lovely. God loves us because He is lovely. Because He wants to give unfathomable love to sinners and then conform us into the image of Christ so that we become lovely. We weren't lovely until He set His love upon us. That's this calling out. See what kind of love the Father has set upon us. He called us His children, not because we already were, not because we already did something, not because we were kind of looking good. No, none of that. But because He chose to love us. It's not based on the object. It's kind of like the prodigal son. You remember that story. The prodigal son's coming back to his father after he's spent all the money, squandered his life. He's nearly naked, pitiful, blind, poor, has nothing. He's coming back, and he's already told himself, I, I, I'm content to be called a slave. I'm content because that's, that's really, that's, I don't deserve to be any more than that. I don't even deserve to be that. I'm just hoping he'll take me in because I'm tired of starving myself to death. And when the father sees this prodigal son, he doesn't throw his love on him because of what he looks like, but because of who he is. You're my son. And God does that. I've called you my son. I've called you my child. I love you. I you were blind, pitiful, poor, and naked, yes. But you're mine. So regardless of how you feel this morning, you might feel pretty worthless. You might feel pretty poor and miserable. That doesn't change God's love for you. His love is not based on the object. His love is based on His own sovereign will. His own desire. His own loveliness to love the unlovely. Who can't hold on to that? Who can't see the beauty of that? Behold, let us see what kind of love the Father has set upon us. It's a love the world doesn't know. It, it transcends the way we think. It's unfathomable. But when you get it, you say, God, when I see you at your coming, I can stand shameless because I know we won't be the same. But when I see you, then I will become like you. Next verse, we'll get to that later, next week. I will become like Christ, conformed to his image. Um, it says here in this passage, the world, verse, the last part of verse 1, the world does not know us. Is it, the, the reason why the world does not know us, it didn't know him. Going back to a previous illustration, you know, when somebody looks at one of my sons, oh, that's a round tree, that's a round tree. Family trait. There are certain people, you look at them and say, I don't know who you are because I have no context. I have no way to connect you to something I know. 
the world doesn't know us Christians. And the reason the world doesn't know us Christians is because they don't have a connection to the family trait, which is righteousness. They don't know that. They've never known that, and they can't know that apart from Christ. So when they, they, they look at us doing righteous things, they say, I don't know what to make of that. God says the reason they don't know what to make of that because they don't know the Father. If they knew the Father, if they knew the one whose character is holy, 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 then they would know you. But they're not going to ever know you as you are because they don't know God. They don't know the family trait. And they will not know the family trait unless you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the Spirit transforms you. You're born again to know righteousness. Uh, imagine just again uh, thinking about this relationship we have, this romance of, of being God's child. Imagine two sons or two boys. One's a son, one's not. They, in the same neighborhood, they play together. The wealthy landowner always has this big summer barbecue. It's fun, and both boys have never been allowed to go, and so they... They talk about it from time to time. Boy, I'd love to go to that barbecue uh, party in July. It's just always so much. You know, you hear about it. It's got to be fun. And then one day, the, the landowner comes out, grabs his son, and starts walking him back. It's time for the party. And the other boy says, wait, 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 wait. I, I live in this neighborhood. I've been cleaning up the streets and the yard. I, I deserve to be there, too. And the landowner says, no, no. And he just keeps going. It's like, why not? You're not a son. My son gets to go. But you're not a son. Family makes a difference. Family gets to go. Family's not ashamed to go. Family's not ashamed to enjoy. Because it's family. But hold again the kind of love God has given us that we should be called his children. I don't know about you, but I, I, I have confidence. I, if Christ was to come back today, I could stand before him shameless. Why? Because I'm a son. I'm family. Those of you who think, well, I've done good stuff in life. He should accept me. That's a chance you don't want to take. There's nothing that says because you've done good stuff, maybe God will accept you. No, behold what kind of love he puts on those who he calls children of God. You don't want to be a do-gooder. You want to be a child of God. Only children of God stand before him blameless and shameless at his coming. Become a child of God. By trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for faith in Christ. Thank you for repentance. The turning from sin to turn to Christ. Thank you for 
being embraced by Christ, becoming a brother to Christ, becoming a son, a child, a daughter of God. Father, thank you for an abiding relationship where we spend time with you all throughout the days of our lives. Thank you for righteousness, not our own, that we have a passion for and we seek to live consistent with. Thank you, Father, for a calling from above that we should be the children of God. We worship and adore you for these things. Father, for those who don't have them, oh, we wish they had them. Lord, use us as your witnesses. For those who hear these words, may they be desperate to be children of God. Draw them to yourself that they might enjoy the privileges that we have as family. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.